we got down about verse 23 last time. Um, and to get our thoughts back together, maybe not walk through any of it, but just to understand where we are, Jesus has um, raised the lame man that was at the pool of Bethesda, and he was up carrying his bed and walking on the Sabbath day. We know one of the great controversies of the Jews and one of the the great accusations they had against the Lord was that he done these works on the Sabbath day. They said he was breaking the Sabbath law by performing these works on the Sabbath day. And so that argument begins and Jesus defends himself here and we'll see him defend himself more later, but by saying, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So the Father's worked up to this point, and I am working. And we're beginning to see that the Father and Son are inseparable. You can't come to God without Jesus. You can't come to Jesus without coming to God. They they are one. And on in John, we'll add the Holy Spirit to that mix as well. They are one. You don't come to one without the other. So we thought about God's power. You know, it wasn't six days He created everything. The seventh day He rested, and He's rested ever since. That was not the Sabbath. Jesus says, My Father worketh. We know that all life, all things come from Him. We looked, and, and Anthony looked a while back in the opening as well, that he makes the grass to grow. He gives fruitful seasons. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that raises up. He's the one that casts down. And there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God has not done that. So nothing is on its own, but God is at work in everything that's going on in our world. God is in control of everything. There's a great rest that can be had there. If we can trust God, we know that He's in control. Even when we're in trouble, He's still in control. We're there under His hand. And so, as the Father works, so does the Son. In verse 19, the Son is doing what the Father has done. In verse 20, the Father loveth the Son and sheweth him all things. 21, the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth, so the Son quickeneth. 22, the Father judgeth no man, but's committed all judgment to the Son. So you see the raising of the dead? Father and Son are together. The works that they do, Father and Son are together. Even in judgment, Father and Son are together. They are one in judgment. They are one in resurrection. And in verse 23, where we left off last time, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which has sent Him. So if there's no submission, if there's no, the word there means to prize or to revere, to fix an evaluation on, if there's no reverence for the Son, for Jesus, then there's no reverence for the Father. You can't reverence God without coming through the Son. Neither can you reverence the Son without coming through God Himself. They are one and the same. So 
uh, and, and I believe we covered this last time, the idea that all roads lead to heaven, everybody's worshiping the same God in their own way, and every way's good enough, and God's going to accept whatever the heart is. That's all a lie. The only way we come to God is through Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no coming to God. There is no other means or way for man to honor God, and there's no way for man to honor the Son without God Himself. So they're one. Verse 24. We'll read a few verses here and then uh, cover them, I think. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So as let's just walk down through these. Let's get exactly what's being said, and then maybe we'll back up again and uh, add some other scriptures to look at it. So verily, verily, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Now, if you think now, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that it would be on Jesus is where the belief ought to be? He says, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Remember in John 3, it's believing on him. In John 5, it's believing on him that sent. See, they're one. If you're going to truly believe God and God's word, then you're going to believe Jesus. And if you're going to truly believe Jesus, then you're going to believe God. You, they can't be separated. And again, he's establishing that. And notice, hearing the word and believing on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So Jesus' qualification for escaping condemnation and having life is believing in Him and hearing the Word of God. There's no work here listed. There's no life living that's listed. There's nothing that I need to do further in order to have this. But they that are in Christ and in God, they are without condemnation. They are free from guilt and they have life. Now that's the Word of God. And man says, you can't teach that. People's gonna, they're going to go crazy with that and live in sin. No, that's things that accompany salvation. That is not a qualification for salvation. The life comes as a result of the work of God in the heart. Here is salvation. Salvation is by hearing the Word and believing on Him that sent me. And so verily the hour is coming and now is. So here, if you look in 25, 
And if you look down at verse 28, 28 says the hour is coming. But in 25, the hour is coming and now is. So here Jesus is talking about a a present time, a time that is very near at hand. And so the hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, they that hear shall live. So who's going to hear the voice? It's the dead. And who is going to live? Not all of the dead are going to live, but those that hear. We know that as a qualification just by the Scripture that's provided here. And so on down in verse 26, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. And man says, well, we've got life in ourselves. That's how we're living. But that's not what he's meaning here. To have life in Himself means He is life and He can give life to other beings. God is the source of life. There would be no life outside of Him giving life, outside of Him breathing life. Now, I may be alive, but I cannot create something and give it life. I don't have life in myself as God has life in Himself. I can't take the dead and resurrect them and bring them back to life. I don't have that power. I'm alive because God's gave me life. You're alive because God's gave you life. God is alive because He's eternal God. Nobody gave Him life. He is life. He has life in Himself. And He gives that to others. And so just as the Father has life, so does the Son. They're equal. They're inseparable. They're one. And so you can't divide them apart one from another. And it's given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So God has given Jesus, the man Jesus, that's standing there amongst them. Remembering this, the two natures of Jesus. Jesus was the Word of God all through eternity past. Jesus was the Creator even though the man Jesus was not yet born. He, was, he did not exist. The man Jesus, the man, did not exist till Mary gave birth to him. But the eternal Word of God did exist. And God has given this man Jesus authority to execute judgment Because, this is why, because He's the Son of Man. He is God incarnate in a body. And I realize that's hard to understand and I can't get that, I can't explain that as it ought to be explained. But that's that's the case of it. He was God made to be flesh dwelling among us and God gave that man power and authority over life and over death. Man's never had that power or authority before. But Jesus did. And Jesus did because He was not a son of Adam. He was the Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. So God gave Him authority. He could go to a grave 
and call Lazarus out. He had authority to give that man life that was dead. Authority that no man ever had before. And God was the giver of that authority. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice. So the first one that we looked at, those that hear are going to live. Well now in this resurrection, all that are in the graves shall hear and shall come forth. So it doesn't sound like a select few here. Sounds like everybody's hearing all of the dead and all of the dead are coming forth. They that have done good. They that have done what God has designed and said was good under the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. True. So Jesus teaches of a resurrection in which there will be life given to those that have done good and judgment and punishment measured out to those that have done evil. Now, this is, this is easier to understand, I think. And I believe just by saying what we've said you know already what these scriptures are speaking of. But you can take this scripture to Revelation 20 and I believe you can understand the first resurrection and the second death. You can understand all of those things much better. So this first resurrection Jesus is speaking of here, it must be the salvation of the soul of man. It must be in 24... He's passed from death unto life. God has done a work through the Lord Jesus that's brought man from death, from dead in trespasses and in sins, from dead in guilt, from in the darkness of Satan himself. God's done a work and brought them out of that state and they've passed from that state into life. So that's what he's talking about in verse 25. We've got dead people hearing the voice of the Son of God and those that hear shall live. Now that's the same word. That word here in the Greek language, it's the same word. He's not saying two separate things. Those that hear, they will live. So if not everybody's living, then not everyone's hearing, right? Not everyone has an ear to hear. Where does this ear come from? How do the dead hear? Well, in the natural picture, the dead body hears nothing that my lips say to them. In the spiritual picture, the dead person does not hear anything that you say to them. There must be a quickening power of God that opens the ear and the mind and the heart that enables them to hear. Now, it doesn't matter what is said, how weighty or how sharp or how cutting or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. They can't hear it except the Lord open the ears and the heart. But when God speaks... When God does a work, they will hear and they will live. 
That's what the Bible says here. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of Man. Now, we've got some Scripture now. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, Let the dead bury their dead. In Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, For this my son was dead and is alive. In Colossians 2, you being dead in your sins. In Ephesians 2, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. None of those scriptures are talking about people that are physically dead in the body. The prodigal son wasn't dead, but he was spiritually dead. The Colossians and the Ephesians, they were spiritually dead. These families that Jesus was speaking about, let the dead bury their dead. They were spiritually dead. They had no life towards God, no capabilities, no powers to do anything towards God or in the kingdom of God. They were dead. So what's got to happen for the dead to live? They're going to have to hear the voice of the Son of God. Not not the voice of Joseph, not the voice of Billy Graham, not the voice of Paul the Apostle, not the voice of Simon Peter. It'll be the voice of the Son of God that speaks to the heart of man. That is what's necessary to bring man from death and into life. My voice is not sufficient to do that. And Paul himself said, Who is sufficient for these things? There's no one sufficient for these things of himself, but it's God that worketh through the gospel, through the Word of God, through uh, the powers of the Holy Spirit. God works and speaks to the heart. So you know this then, those that hear the voice of the Son of God, they shall without fail, without falter, the voice of the Son of God is going to get them up out of their dead state and bring them to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now people don't like to hear that. They think that that's that's crude. They think that that's not fair. But the truth is what rest that you can have in knowing that God is able to get them up. If it's up to them and only up to them, And my God, I'd have never got saved. I had no desire for that. I I know this. I know by my brother's own testimony from his mouth, he said, I'll never, ever go back there again. Now, if it was left up to him, that he had made up his mind already. Mind was made up. Ain't you glad? that God changes the mind. He brings man out of darkness into the light of the kingdom of God. And so without fail, he's able to do this work. In Revelation 20, verse number 5, the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So what we're looking at here in John 5, this bringing past from death unto life This is the first resurrection. And he says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall live with him a thousand years. So here, blessed and how blessed that man is to have heard the voice of the Son of God, 
to being brought from death unto life, you have been blessed by God to be able to say that you're in the kingdom of God and that you've had part in the first resurrection. Now here in Revelation 20, what does he say about the first resurrection? They're blessed and they're holy all by the operation of God. And the second death, which is to be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone, that second death has no power over them that have had part in this resurrection. Jesus says here in John 5 that they that have had part in this resurrection, they that have been made alive, they have no condemnation on them. Well, I think they ought to be condemned. Well, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And so... The dead shall hear, they that hear shall live. As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son. And hath given him authority. So if the Son makes a man free then, if God is the Father, the, you know, some may say, well, God's the chief power of all. And that's fine. If the Father is the chief and he said to the Son... Now who you make alive, they're alive. And who you justify, they're justified. And if the Son has made alive and justified, then who's going to overrule that? I mean, you talk about a secure, unlosable salvation. A anchor that is inside the veil. In where God is at. I'm anchored not in the rock of earthly things, not in the rock of the church, but I'm anchored in God Himself. So to take away justification from those that are in Christ, God will have to cease to be the supreme power and somebody will have to overrule Him to take that away. Now, is there any worry in anybody's mind that that's going to happen? If He's the only eternal, the Father, Son, and Spirit are the only eternals and everything, including Satan, exists because they made them. It's foolish to think that something's going to whoop God out or prevent God from having His way. It's foolish to think of Satan as anywhere near God's equal. He is not God's equal. He's God's creation. God does with him as he sees fit. And when God sees fit, he'll cast him into the lake of fire. He won't have to struggle to do that either. So they that hear shall live. In Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. So you see that there is a number of people that hear and that live. There's a number of people that enter in at the straight gate. And there's also a number of people that do not hear and remain dead. You see their their status has not been changed. 
They were dead before. They didn't hear and they remained dead. See in John 3, Jesus came not to condemn the world. There was no further condemnation needed for the world. The world was already fully condemned. The world was already dead. The world was already bound for judgment and destruction and the wrath of God. He didn't bring condemnation. They were already dead. Already bound for destruction. And so here, the dead remain dead that didn't hear. And on down in verse uh, 28 now, the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves. So a time that all of the dead and all of the living are going to be called up before Almighty God to judgment. In Daniel 12.2, Daniel saw this, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In the book of Acts, verse 24, have a chapter 24, verse 15, and have hope towards God which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both just and unjust. So the church and even the Jewish church in Old Testament days, they held to the belief that this life was not all that there was. That a man lives and a man dies and he's put in the grave, but in the future there will be a day of resurrection. Remember Moses who turned down to be in the prince of Egypt and went out and lived in the desert for the rest of his life, Moses had respect to the recompense of the reward. Moses was looking to after this life. And he looked at the treasures in Egypt that he could have for 80 more years versus the resurrection of life that would be eternal. And he rejected the treasures of Egypt and chose to suffer affliction. So Moses held that there was something after this life. We can see that about Abraham, about Isaac, and Jacob. They dwelled in tents. They wandered in places that weren't theirs. If they had wanted to go back, they could have, but they didn't because they sought a heavenly city, one from God. And so here, here you see this resurrection. Jesus is teaching of it. That that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob looked for, that that Daniel prophesied of, here is a resurrection that everyone that has ever lived will take part in. It's not going to be a great day for everybody. There's going to be some resurrected unto life, eternal life, no condemnation, life with God, but there's some that are resurrected unto judgment. In Revelation 20 verse 11, remembering this, we read in 20 just a little while ago, the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. They remained dead. They were dead and they remained dead. 
But at the end of the thousand years in Revelation 20, they're going to be called up. And here they are, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So here in Revelation 20, if if you read that close, the two groups of people there are dead and living. You know who's being judged out of the books according to their works? The rest of the dead are. Those that were not made alive in the first resurrection. Now let's be honest. If you're going to be judged out of the books according to your personal individual works, are you going to be free from condemnation? No, we're not going to be free from condemnation based on our works. Thank God we're in Christ and it'll be His work that we're judged by. If, if I have been given His righteousness, it's His work that I'm judged by. But the dead, those that are resurrected under the resurrection of damnation, here they are, their works are being taken and measured up by the books. You can say the Word of God. I believe that man Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Word of God, their life and their works is being measured up to the the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Word of God. And if they're found lacking, if it doesn't measure up to the standard that God has established, they're called. You can see that in a factory. It doesn't meet the quality standards. They're not going to sell that. They're going to cash that one out. Well, here's the quality standard. God, the owner of the factory, has set it up. There is no arguing of, well, that's not fair. And every man's measured to the same standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you measure up to the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does your life mark the perfection that God has set as the requirement for acceptance. So then we already know then, and we know by the Scripture itself, no man measures up. No person qualifies for righteousness or perfection. All have come short. All have failed. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we know this then. All of those outside of Christ, when they are resurrected, they have no hope of life. They have no hope of admittance. But all of the dead that's judged in Revelation 20, they're going to the lake of fire, the second death that awaits them. So here's the question then. In verse number 28, all that are in the grave shall hear. Verse 29, they shall come forth, they that have done good. Well, if we've got those scriptures, some of those that I just quoted, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. 
Romans 3 verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So this doing good that the Lord talks about, He's not saying if I do good enough to my neighbor, I'm going to get life at the end, is He? If Ecclesiastes and Romans, and there's multitudes of other scriptures we can look at, but if just those two verses that we read in Romans and Ecclesiastes is correct, then there's nobody of their own self that qualifies for life by their works. So what does the Lord mean by they that have done good? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, You being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What's happening here in the man, the Lord Jesus Christ? All of my trespasses, all of my breaking of the law, in Christ Jesus, that's going to be nailed to the cross. So the picture of it is that my failures, my sins, my breaking of the commandments, that that would prevent me from being righteous before God, Jesus is going to bear the punishment of those transgressions on the cross of the Lord Jesus. He nailed them there. He gave His life there on the cross to pay for those. And the trespasses and sins are forgiven. The handwriting of ordinances, that was against me. I had broken the law. The law was against me. That was blotted out. And in Romans chapter 4, it was not written for his sake, for Abraham's sake, that it was imputed unto him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses. There He is. Our sins, our transgressions, the punishment of that is being nailed to the cross and He was raised again for our justification. So the Lord Jesus Christ, being the perfect sacrifice, He bore the punishment, He bore the guilt, He bore the filth, he bore the law. He bore all of those things. And on the cross, all of that was nailed. And He rose again. His life being perfect and without sin on His own, from the dead He arose. Death had no hold over Him. And His righteousness is imputed on those that believe in His name. So what is this doing good? that causes us to receive life. It's not of our works. The Lord Jesus is the one man that has lived on the face of the earth that has done good. He's the only man that's lived that's done the will of God. And it's in Him that righteousness is imputed unto others. It's through Him 
that we can receive the resurrection of life. How do we receive? Hearing the voice of the Son of Man being brought to life. Passed from death unto life. How do we hear? We hear by the Holy Ghost of God through the gospel that calls us from the dead. One more place in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth His sheep from the goats. So here is the Lord Jesus. And do you know really, here's the picture A man's got a herd of sheep and goats. He's putting a sheep in one pen. He's putting the goats in the other as they come down the trough. That's easy enough to see. But really what's happening is the Lord Jesus, He is the separation between the two groups. What determines whether a man has life? If he's in the Lord Jesus. What determines if the second death has power over him if he's outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the God Almighty has taken everything and he's brought it all into one in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They that have not life, they that are raised to the resurrection of damnation, They're in that condition because of rejecting the Son of God that gave His life for them. Them that have life, they have it because the Son of God has given it to them. All things are brought together in one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it'll be to His glory uh, that all's given.